to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. I want to show a picture to you all this morning. Sam, what's that? There's that first picture, that picture. Ah, there he is. Do you all know what his name is? I just said a minute ago. Job is his name. At some point in my life, I will have the courage to preach through the entire book of Job with you. It is worth doing, but I am not that brave yet. Today, we are going to, we're going to kind of dance around in this book a little bit, and we're going to think about uh, wonder and how God shows up to Job in a way that makes him wonder. And that happens at the end of Job's story, but if you want to know what happens at the end, you ought to know what happens at the beginning. So I want to tell you a bit about Job. Job was a righteous man. That means Job always did what was right. And Job became wealthy in his life. He had livestock, lots and lots of livestock, lots of possessions. He was a rich man. But he was also rich in his blessings. His family, his children were the greatest blessing in his life. He was married. He loved his family. When God enters Job's story, though, God is not talking to Job. God is talking to someone that we know as Hasatan. And whenever Hasatan shows up in a story, Hasatan shows up to cause trouble. And so God is talking to Hasatan. And Hasatan asks God, well, God, what if you were to take away all of Job's blessings? Then, God, and only then will you find out whether Job's faith in you is true. And God accepts Hasatan's wager. Don't ask me why he does. I don't know. It's conversation for another day. But Job begins to lose his blessings. One by one, he loses his health and his wealth and all of his reputation He loses his children. Everything Job values, he loses. It is awful to read about, and many of us experience loss in our lives too. Job's first response is very calm to all of this loss in his life. He says, naked I came into this world, naked I will return. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That is Such a reasonable and measured response. But that is not always the way that our grief goes, is it? A lot of times when we're really sad, we aren't reasonable. And as the story goes on, Job's feeling about his sadness turns to anger, even rage. His feelings are made worse by the people around him. Can you imagine that? The people around you making you feel worse, not better? Right, his wife says to him, uh, Job, maybe you should curse God and die. That's a supportive spouse right there. 
And his friends, they try to come around and they comfort Job and they comfort him by saying to him, Job, God is always right. You're the one who probably did something wrong. Job knows he did nothing wrong and so he lashes out at his friends and he fumes at God. He will not repent. God who should repent. It is God who did this. It is God who must stand accountable for my losses. And so God is hearing all of this. And what do you think that God says to Job? What, do you, what would you imagine God would say to Job? I mean, I would think that God would want to comfort Job. I would think that God might say to Job something like we say to each other, uh, the Lord never gives you something more than you can handle. Well, God finally shows up to talk to Job. But it's not to have a conversation rationally. God will not explain Job's suffering. God appears to Job in a great whirlwind, and and it is Job who has been questioning God, but now it's God who questions Job. So listen to what God says to Job. Job, who is this darkening counsel with your words that lack knowledge? Prepare yourself like a man. I will interrogate you and you will respond to me. Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you know. Job, who set the measurements of the earth? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring tape on the earth, Job? Uh, On what were its footings sunk? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang in unison and all the divine beings shouted? Job, who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, when I imposed my limit for it, put a bar and doors and said, see, you may come this far, no further, hear your proud waves stop. Job, in your lifetime, Job, have you commanded the morning and formed the dawn of its place so it would take hold of the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? Job, have you gone to the sea's sources, walked in the chamber of the deep? Have death's gates been revealed to you, Job? Can you see the gates of deep darkness? Have you surveyed the earth's expanses? Tell me if you know everything about it, Job. Where's the road to the place where the light dwells? Darkness, where's it located? Can you take it to its territory? Do you know the path to darkness's house, Job? And while I'm at it, Job, who cut a channel for the downpours and a way for blasts of thunder to bring water to uninhabited land, a desert with no human, to saturate dry wasteland and make grass sprout? From whose belly, Job, does ice come? Who gave birth to heaven's frost? Job, how about the stars? Can you bind Pleiades' chains or loosen the reins of Orion? Can you guide the stars at their proper times? Lead the bear with her cubs? Do you know, Job, heaven's laws? Or can you impose its rule on earth? And how about the animals, Job? How about the animals? Do you feed the lion, Job? Do you feed the raven? Do you care for the mountain goats and the deer? What about the wild donkeys or the wild oxen, Job? Can you harness and control them? What about the wild ostrich? How about the war horse, Job? The one who charges at battle weapons and laughs at fear unafraid. Is it due to your understanding, Job, that the hawk flies, spreading its wings to the south? Or at your command, does the eagle soar, the vulture build a nest on high? 
Job, I will interrogate you. You will respond to me. Would you question my justice? Deem me guilty so you can be innocent? Do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like God's? Job, look at the behemoth whom I made along with you. Look at the Leviathan. Look at these. Tim, show us those good pictures. Look at these, the most fearful, awesome, wondrous creatures in the creation, the behemoth and the Leviathan. Look at them, Job. You perhaps thought that I didn't care for them, Job. Everything under heaven is mine, says God, everything. That's pretty much what God says to Job. It's a lot, right? And then Job gets to talk back to God. And I want to end by telling you what Job says to God. Job says, God, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be opposed successfully. God, you said to me, who is this darkening counsel without knowledge? I have indeed spoken about things I didn't understand. Wonders beyond my comprehension. My ears had heard about you, God, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I relent and find comfort from dust and ashes. And then the story ends in a very short epilogue, and it says that God restored Job's blessings. Job's friends repent. His wealth is restored. It's even doubled. Job has ten more children whom he loves, and the Bible says he dies Old and satisfied. I told you there was no story quite like this in the Bible, didn't I? This is the word of God for you, the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. How many of you have ever read Job before? Any of you feel like you're living through Job right now? You don't have to raise your hand. There is so much that we could say about this story. For centuries, scholars have taken up this story and read it, and many of them are left at the end shaking their heads, still wondering. Job does not offer too many easy answers. And that is as it should be, I think, because this story dares to stare head-on into the most perplexing question. Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer so much in this life? What does it mean? Job's story does implicate God in our suffering. And it does not fully vindicate God either. But if you were looking to the book of Job for answers about your questions, the questions that you have about the meaning of suffering, or if you were looking to Job to vindicate or to blame God for your suffering, you will not be fully satisfied. But if you come to the story of Job to see the real experience of human suffering, 
to see that someone else besides you knows what it feels like to live inside a universe of grief and loss. If you come to it for that reason, Job gives and gives and gives. Job grieves so deeply in this story. He feels his losses so hard. He rages, thanks be to God, at the stupid theological explanations of his friends who insist that God must always be right. He refuses their cheap comfort. Job curses the day he was born because his grief is so consuming, so intense, and he howls to the heavens in protest. He howls like a beast, not knowing who is listening. And yet throughout the entire story, Job seems to trust that someone is listening. That's Job's experience of loss, and it is also, for many of us, our experience of loss. All of you, I think, sitting in this room today, all of you have known it, some of you more, some of you less. We have felt cursed by God and wanted to curse God back in return, and what does God say? To Job, God answers in thunder and in apocalypse. Job confronts God, and then God turns around and confronts Job, and and God makes Job, in his grief, turn his attention outward to turn outside of his own grief, outside of his own outrage. God takes Job's fiery questions And returns questions of God's own, right? Who, Job? What? Where? When? How? These questions blow open Job's horizon of perception. Look around you, Job. Look to the the furthest corners of creation. Look to the earth's foundations. Look at the expanse of the skies and the magnitude of the storms. Look into the deep darkness of space to the blinding light of the sun. Is this your work, Job? Did you make this? And do you watch over this every day? Look at the creatures of the earth, Job. Look at the birds and the reptiles and the fish and the mammals. Look at the lion, Job. Do you feed and care for the lion? And if you could, Job, look to the farthest corners of creation and you will see the spectacular beasts that are there. Fearsome, awesome, terrible creatures. Leviathan and behemoth are their names. Job, you thought they lived out there in some God-forsaken no-man's land. But they too are mine. I created the wild beasts, and I take care of them, Job, just like I take care of you. That's not an answer to the question, why do I suffer? 
God does not give a reason to explain Job's losses. Instead, God shows to Job the wildness of the world. God shows Job that even in the uncontrollable wildness of his grief, Job is still at home within God's wild creation. God's compassion extends to the very outermost reaches of nature. And God's compassion extends to the outermost reaches of our human experience. Truly nothing is beyond God. Our own Bill Brown. This is not Bill Brown, by the way. Our own Bill Brown, to whom I am indebted for his insightful way-making work through the book of Job, says that Job's movement in this story is from wound to wonder. The wound is the loss and the grief and the anger and the sadness that breaks him open. And it breaks us open, too. And sometimes in our grief, we close up on ourselves. We go inward, and we never want to come out again. But sometimes through the experience of loss, our eyes are opened to a wider world around us to a universe of suffering all around us. And sometimes we see God's great love and compassion for all who grieve. I do think that is the path that many of us follow. Deep within our own losses and our own wounds, our eyes are opened to a larger world of suffering and struggle. We heard this morning from Martin Luther King, who sat at his kitchen table afraid for his life and his own children's lives. And he would discover in time a faith that moved him into widening circles of compassion for all those who live in fear from those who live in fear of racism and apartheid in our own country to those who live in fear of our nation dropping bombs on their villages in Southeast Asia, to those who live in fear from the specter of poverty wherever in the world it is. Our own losses can open us up to a much wider and deeper empathy to the strangers around us who also suffer like we do. It can lead us into a broader vision of a future without unnecessary suffering. The ending of Job leaves many people cold. In chapter 42... Job finally gets a chance, after all that God has poured on Job, Job finally gets a chance to speak back to God. And on first glance, it might seem that Job bows submissively to God's bullying, that he regrets having pushed 
God so hard. And for those of us who, who, who love that Job speaks out in his rage and his fury and his anger, it's hard to see what seems like Job backing down. But a closer reading of this ending shows that Job is not bowing down, but he is rising up to new heights as a human being. This last line of Job's, I relent and find comfort from dust and ashes. He relents from his previous worldview, not that it was wrong, it was just too small. Job releases that part of his imagination that had been consumed by rage and he allows it to be taken back over by beauty. Job relents to the beauty he sees in the whirlwind. The vision of creation that God shows to Job is stunning in its expansiveness. Indeed, there are wonders beyond his comprehension. God shows to Job the vastness of this creation, the intricacy, the texture of it, the layers. It's as though Job gets to see in one moment the facets of one individual snowflake, and then in the next he sees the vastness of the blizzard. God's hand is everywhere and in it all. And Job also knows now that it is all perishable. All of this beauty can go away, and most of it will. In that, Job finds strange comfort in knowing the vulnerability of the human condition. It is a fearful thing to love what death can touch. But love it, we must. My own personal experience of trauma is that it feels like the world that you have known has given way. Like you have fallen off the edge of the known world or fallen through the middle of it. And you are falling and falling and falling. And nothing about the world that you once knew seems to hold on to you. Not your old life, not your friends, not even your family. You just fall. And you fall until something finally takes hold of you. And eventually you find you are held. And the world, your world, and all of creation is woven back together. But after your loss, the world that you are woven back into is not the same world. It is bigger. It includes your loss. It may even include your awareness of how such losses are part of all of the human experience. It is a world with wonders beyond comprehension. 
and you too find you are comforted from dust and ashes. Everything, God says, everything, everything under heaven is mine. The wildest beasts, the wildest grief, everything under heaven is mine. Let the people say, Amen.